out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. I'm with you probably for the next 50 minutes. As you know, we always love to to play the finest in indie pop from that golden decade, but we also love a special guest. This week it's going to be the turn of the Leamington Spa bass band. It is Jack Daw with Crow Bar. Because I spoke to two of the members... Tim Ellis and also Adam Sindor to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff that happens when you're forming an indie band who are still going, in fact, and they have got a very good website for more information. Anyway, this is Tim and Adam. And after a lot of casual chat, we got down to that exciting subject that was the beginning of the band. And this was their response. Take it away. Uh, originally under another name and then we, in about, I think it was 86, maybe 87... No, 86. became Jack Daw with Crowbar. Yeah. Uh, before that, the Small Town Thunderers. It was a kind of uh, country and western mashup band. Not mashup, that's wrong now, isn't it? Because it means something else. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> that we became Jack Daw with Crowbar, but it was the name was devised by the filmmakers originally. Right. Uh, I'd written a whole load of music. Fergus, I'd managed to find Fergus, uh, who, who started writing vocals. And then we had Adam here and Steve and Fran, who made films. And they devised the name in a game of... Oh, yeah, well, what is it, uh, consequences. You put drawing, kind of, you know, like automatic. Yes. We, we fold the, the paper over. You can do it with drawing or, or poems. And we... So we... We were weird. We used to like doing that. We spent all our time doing that. And, uh, yeah, the name came out, came out of that. Yes. Um, well, look, because actually I just realised one thing. When, I, when, I, when one of us is speaking, I realise if, if, if there's a bit of a crossover, the, the, kind of, the quality gets a bit hit. So what, what I'll do is ask you a question, but I won't interrupt because otherwise it has this weird kind of moment where the audio doesn't sound great. So don't think I've gone to sleep or I've left the room to have a okay. shower so yeah so <laughs> just to sort of explain just you think god he hasn't said anything for ages or even hummed or or made one of those noises that people do when they're being interviewed so yeah could so could you just give us the background of how the band got together and what the scene was like because you came from Leamington Spa didn't you that's yeah. right um do you want to start no you you, you. <clears throat> well I was always churning out music all the time and uh I'd got to a stage where I had a set of songs which I, I really wanted to perform and, uh, and find a singer to work with because I was just a solo kind of writer, really, composer. And a um, friend, Simon Farr, introduced me to Fergus. Uh, he really liked the stuff. And that's when we started working together, just the two of us. Uh, I wrote all the music, he wrote the lyrics. And, that's, and then we recruited a couple of guys Andy and Dan. No, well, originally it was Dick, wasn't oh, it? Oh no, it's then... Dick, Dick and uh, Andy Grimmer. Yeah, and then we got the band, the the Small Town Thunderers going. A uh, couple of musicians changed, and Fergus and I were kind of the the core, if you like, music and vocals. And then we recruited various people and did some shows in '85, '86, and then how did we get to? Well, it was right. 
Fergus, who I went to college with, obviously, well, may as well give you an indication. He's he, the original vocalist. I've kind of replaced him, but he originally asked me if I would do some slides, and I said no. We won't do slides. We'll do super some super eight um, projection. And uh, we we went from the very first show, which at that point was still Small Town Thunderers. They we had film uh, projection, and being ex-film students, we were a bit up our own assholes in that we kind of had this whole thing about um, at the time of, of you know I suppose culturally bands and the whole thing of image, and we we kind of wanted to kind of undermine it in some way uh, we we kind of uh were very uh in, intense about you know you, the the band all has to wear white the film's projecting onto you um we every every venue we we went to we'd have we you know have to make it as dark as possible set up a film tower for the projectors put up as many sheets as we could um and we, yeah, we were a bit, we were a bit sort of. Uh, we would turn down uh, a gig. We would turn down a gig if we couldn't use the films. It was strict, wasn't it? Yeah, we were. Yeah. I think we only ever did one without them. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. So we could, we got a, I suppose we got a reputation for having the films back then. Uh, anyway, what happened? We we approached. We decided to try and make a record. And we only ever approached one record label. It was Ron Johnson. And uh, we took the film projectors, we took bin bags, we went up and sat in his living room in Nottingham and put bin bags over all his windows. <laughs> I took the same hi-fi that I mixed the tracks on into his living room so I knew it would sound right. And we gave him a demo right there in his living room with the films and the music. And he, he said, let's do two singles and an album. Yes. Actually, that would probably be hard to turn you guys down in that state, though, wouldn't it? I mean, as as negotiation go, that that would be a quite an intimidating moment, almost like being with Charles Manson in the darkened room. Yeah, absolutely. But it's interesting thinking about how this all happened, because with no internet, it was just all done on the phone, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, I've I've kind of come across quite a few bands who've... That the, the lack of phones and communication has meant that they sometimes travelled from some, like the Wolfhands, move, you know, went up to Glasgow for a gig, found out it was cancelled, and didn't have any and didn't have any money to get home, so they had to busk and yes. hang about for about five days to collect some money to get some petrol to come home. And the same happened with Motorhead. I did an interview with Fast Eddie, and they had the same experience where they had to sort of vandalise their vehicle and get the AA to um, pick them up and bring them back to London. So yes, it was a different period. Yes, yeah, we had to do that a couple of times. In Brighton, we we had yeah, no money. Bust, yeah. We had to bus to get petrol to get back. I mean, you know, and, and in those days, you know, you, well, actually, it's not much different now, but uh, touch and go as to whether you'd actually get paid any money. And um, uh, so it was very, it was, it was, it was difficult. And um, if you've got, you know, a full band, um then obviously sleeping and eating and all of those all of those domestic things. Because there were nine of us for a while. There was the driver, four, five in the band, and three film crew, <laughs> film projectionists. 
three film projectionists operating four projectors, five musicians. Yes. Quite a big outfit in those days. You must have hated Billy Bragg just seeing one man with a guitar just going out yeah. and, and collecting all the money and then walking off talking about socialism. Yeah. <laughs> you could say that. I mean, well, we didn't... It, I mean, it was a vibrant time, I think, um, sort of culturally and, and, and politically in that, you know, well, we were talking about it a bit last night, that now everyone kind of protests via the internet and in those days, you you went to a demo, and you and you and you know we were we we felt quite committed um, on that level to what was going on. I mean, obviously with Thatcher in power and the whole sort of uh, um, move towards this the miners' strike going on and. Um, it, it was a it was a quite a lively time. Yes, well, I was going to say we were we were permanently twenty four seven angsty in the eighties, I believe. Um, you know, because it was a kind of a red wedge, the you know, rock against racism, and the miners yeah. and the and Thatcher. And then we'd also started the decade with um, the Falklands, which had slightly sort of given us all a bit of um, a headache yeah. just thinking about that. So yes, it was it was all made for a. You know, some of the comments and some of the attitudes during that time were really sort of difficult to cope with. So obviously, when you were making music, and 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 it's the same with people like Bogshed and Big Flame, I'm guessing, is that you weren't going because because on top of the pops, I mean, my God, it was big hair, big production, Trevor Horn sound, and then you had you know tuned into John Peel, and it was all very sort of like, my God, they're they're definitely not going to be introduced by. DLT on top of the pops at this rate. So you must have enjoyed being able to be that creative and arty. Yeah, I, I mean, it was it, as you as you described it. It was a there was the, the the surface mainstream, and then there was the underground, and uh, obviously we were very much in that. Um, so and there's an interesting one given the, the sort of this to kind of uh, move into the dance acid house thing. We, we were, I think there was a lot, of, there were a lot of indications that it was going to go that way. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the music of the early eighties was uh, kind of indicated that that's where it was going to go. It was a, a, a lot of stuff very ahead of its time, I think. Um, Could you remember having a conversation about whether to put the word fuck on the record cover so that Woolworths would stock it? (laughs) (laughs) Whether or not to put the the word fuck on the cover so that Woolworths would stock it, because they wouldn't. Which which particular release was that? Uh, It was on one of the the 12-inch singles, Sink, Sank, Sunk. Yeah. And uh, and obviously the one thing that I've sort of noticed doing all these interviews with bands, and I hadn't appreciated this, was the, the narrative and the lifespan, a bit like one of those David Attenborough programmes, the lifespan of a band, which I hadn't got sort of quite, I hadn't sort of come to realise was so almost five years and a couple of months exactly because of you know like getting often a band got together they did a single made a bit of a noise thought oh this is quite good john peel played it got a session did the album tour was kind of interesting if anybody ever did america that seemed to finish them and the second album and beyond things start getting quite difficult so how did your story of the the first period go well we uh, we did quite a few shows in this country after signing to ron johnson um, we met played quite a few shows with some of the other bands that were on the same label 
but we got picked up by some European promoters and we I think we played more in across the channel than we did in this country. Yeah, definitely, because uh, we felt in a way, you know, the response was much more enthusiastic in Italy and Belgium and Germany to some degree, Holland, uh, than, in, than in this country. And we, we kind of felt, well, let's, let's, you know, so we, in a way we stopped, we stopped doing gigs here as much as we had done previously. Um, and we really enjoyed the traveling, the go, going to cities we'd never been to before. And um, well, we went through East Germany and into Poland through in the year the war was coming down. Was that 88? Yeah, well, I think we went a bit later because just it, after, but they still had they still had the military at the checkpoint. Yeah, the Russians were still checkpoint. In, Charlie was still there. Right. So in in Poland at that point, you could see helicopters flying about everywhere. Um, but so uh, you know, in that respect, it's it's. I mean, for me personally, and I, and I think for everyone actually, uh, that was that was why you kind of did it because you. It uh, that was the payoff. You're not going to be making loads of money but you if you can if you can travel somewhere and see somewhere and experience have a new experience of how you know what other what other countries are like um so i think that that became our and we were making friends everywhere it was just pretty brilliant really yeah yes and obviously you did three albums almost in consecutive years, which was quite an amazing output at that time as well. I mean, because obviously your sound, you had quite a distinctive sound and it was perfect for John Peel, obviously, that we all used to love intensely. So, I mean, yeah. did that evolve over time or did you get it quite, you know, sorted, sorted quite quickly, the sound of the band? Yeah, I think it was always there. I mean, I, because I was initially um, not involved in the music, directly doing a film, I was kind of weird. In a weird position, you're kind of in the band, but you're not in the band, you're not on stage. And uh, so one could be quite objective about how to to hear the music and hear how it developed. I mean, I was always very keen to be involved um, just on that level, really. So, and I think there were, there were definite points where the music kind of leapt forward. Um, there were certain certain songs that, well, like Crow, I suppose, did uh, kind of indicated that there was. It felt like it was that they were right on the sort of uh, front line of 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 something interesting and, and un, un, unusual. Um, and I, you know, originally the the band was very much uh, uh, musically alive. Uh, experience the music was always different from from gig to gig, so we all we you know we were a bit uh, obsessive about it. We'd listen to the tapes, try and record a gig, and listen to it afterwards, um, which is a bit maybe a bit indulgent to some degree. But we we took it seriously, you know, and uh, we, we weren't just sort of going off to well, we did party, but we did, you know it, it was it wasn't just for that. We we were yeah, committed. Yes. I mean, did you have, I mean, one thing I noticed, especially with the bands who, who probably made a bit more of an interest in sound or noise, was that there was sort of a certain creative madness within some of the members. Did, mm. was, did that ever appear with your, com, you know, combo? 
no one went nuts. Well, that's no. good. I know you. Know, I was vaguely thinking of Stump and Bogshed, where, you know, I'd done interviews with you know other other members of the band who are obviously still alive, and it was a bit like, yeah, things did start to unravel badly. But you know, you kind of listening back to the music, you thought, yeah, I suppose it did sound a little bit hyper and a bit sort of probably was a bit difficult just to have a proper conversation without it all sort of becoming a bit peculiar. Right. <laughs> well, of course, we had uh, Tris King, who's now no longer with us. Bless him. He. Uh, was originally he was a you know he was in Bogshed and, and a witness and then um, came and joined Jackdaw and uh, it, that I remember that that time particularly felt you know you felt very much in accordance with uh, a kind of uh, a, th a similar sort of outlook of, of all these bands um, a, a, a similar kind of spirit I suppose that maybe maybe all bands always have that but I suppose that we it felt quite specifically uh, kind of a, a, a kind of a, a like a scene I suppose you could call it yes. um, um, I mean, I'm a great fan of a witness um, although we never we went to see them we never actually did a gig with them which is a shame but um, they were they were they were great and uh, never saw Bogshed, but there was there was a sort of a, a a connection, I suppose, a loose some kind of a loose connection. Yeah, I think from being a punter and a fan, it was definitely a feeling of a kind of, especially I suppose as you look back, you realise there was a bit of a musical zeitgeist going on just yeah. for a, for a period where you and as you mentioned earlier. There was those kind of moments that things started, obviously they do start moving and you don't realise that when you're younger, that, you know, yes, this is a period and it's going to change again. And then the dance scene and then you had the, the grunge scene that started. And that was the other thing that I hadn't appreciated with certain bands who were had to hit quite a big commercial front like the Primitives. But then they got to the point where people just weren't interested, even though they were still happily going along. It was like no one, they couldn't get arrested, they couldn't get a crowd anymore. And you think, but you had big hits and big tours. And it's like, yeah, but people have just moved on and, and no one cared about us anymore. So that, I didn't, I hadn't appreciated that side of the industry. Yeah, well, I think the dance scene definitely killed it, killed it off, actually. Um, I mean, we we kind of were... There was a, I think we were, we did a gig at Club Dog, which then became quite a big uh, dance club. But before that, it was a sort of uh, grungy sort of uh, alternative, what we used to call the Brew Crew kind of scene. Um, Is that the Travellers? You know, the... the yeah. yeah. The, um, the Peace Convoy, which was kind of... Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, we did, we, uh, I think before signing... With Ron Johnson, we did quite a few festivals, and we just turn up and see if we could play and set up our own stage. And we did the Elephant Fair one year, which was hilarious looking back on it. But um, it, 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 the, the, the thing kind of cr yeah, the whole thing kind of crumbled, I think. Um, and we, but I suppose because we were going to Europe, we didn't necessarily. It didn't really matter quite so much what was going on here, because we could function elsewhere sort of thing yes um because it was interesting because i put down you know 87 as, as kind of one of the great years in music 
ever. Ooh. And you obviously did two John Peel show uh, sessions in that time as well. So obviously that that must have been a period you probably didn't realise that it was like, God, we're really surfing this moment. Yeah, I suppose it happened quite quickly and, and maybe, I mean, again, as an observer rather than a participant, uh, I, I went to, we, in fact, both me and Steve accompanied them to the to Maida Vale. And I think the second one was a bit rushed because they are, John uh, or John Waters asked, asked us back quite quickly after the first one, which was, uh, great, as a, you know, the, the, all the tracks were were spot on, and I think the second one wasn't quite as well, we're a bit rushed, and that maybe because of that, it had a maybe some small impact on 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 the response, because obviously, as time went on, I think we 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 were getting press, we got some good press, but we also got some really lousy press, and people who just thought. You know, they didn't. They had had a problem with it for some reason. Steve Wells would go out of his way to say something, slightly cutting every time. Yeah. He even reviewed one a gig that he wasn't in the room for. <laughs> really? I, didn't know that. I think he did. Was it Leeds Astoria? Was he actually in? in oh, the... probably not. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. I remember who, who uh, went? I think they might have done. Well, they're one of those bands that went to America and then collapsed. But, um, you know, that's so why we did a lot of gigs. We, we did one with the Primitives, remember, in Coventry. We did uh, quite a few gigs with other other bands that, in a sense, had much more success than we did. Um, but I think it was because of our, our, our kind of our stance, uh, our political outlook kind of put people's backs up, I think. Yes. Well, I remember bands like Chumbawamba had a lot of problems because they they sort of wore their political colours quite strongly. I I think somehow it didn't sort of go down well in London at all, especially with the enemy. But, you know, I think they just didn't like the colour. I don't know. They didn't like a lot of things about Chumbawamba, did they? Anyway, so look, how did your the relationship with Ron Johnson? Because obviously this was a period when you were with on that label for quite a few years. And then how did that sort of come to an end? Well, he got he ran out of money because the last record that we made with him, Hot Air, the album, um, he asked us to only make the cover of the record black and white, or at least yeah, one colour. We were allowed one. We were allowed one colour, so it, it, it was an indication that he was running out of money, and I think it's because of uh, electronic music was picking up. <clears throat> Rough Trade was starting to subsidise electronic artists and labels, and pinching out uh, the live band labels and Ron Johnson was one of you know that's I think that's how I remember it happening well it was also running out of money. it was also uh, the ex who are are uh, have been our patrons in the past uh, I went to see them the other night actually they were playing in Brighton and they were bloody fantastic um, they released a double a single um, which was there sort of uh, to do with the Spanish Civil War. It had a big booklet inside it, and they insisted on selling it cheaply. And Dave Parsons wanted them to, you know, wanted it to be more expensive, uh, but they insisted that it, it would be affordable for people to buy. And, uh, and that basic, I think, that was basically what caused it to implode because you couldn't keep up the the uh, the costs. 
And I think he, you know, probably always ran that label at a loss. Yes. Which is a shame because, the, you know, when we first joined, I think we were one of, probably one of the last bands to join. It was the, it was a really hit label. You know, there were, all those bands were really, uh, particularly Big Flame and, and The X and Stump um, before they kind of, uh, a major deal. Um, but it, yeah, there was other, about 12 bands and uh, very much part of, to use that word again, a zeitgeist, really. Yes. Um, it didn't really end suddenly, it fizzled out. Yeah. Yes. And then, so when it was sort of fast-forwarding on to the early 90s when you did your last album, Hanging in the Balance, what was that like being on a different label? And, and sort of obviously at that time, you'd also stopped touring, hadn't you, around, around the yeah. early 90s? That album was released on an Italian label. So we'd built, we'd, we were going to Italy really, kind of reasonably regularly, I think. Yeah. Certainly every year for a while, doing sort of four, four to six weeks around Italy, Holland and Belgium and Germany. And um, our promoter in Italy introduced us to Hacks from Milan. And they just said, hey, do you want to, let's do an album. And that's how that happened. And we kind of, at that point, had also established a, uh, very strong connection with the X and Dogface Hermans, um, and did a lot of gigs with the Hermans in in Europe. Um, and of course, they ended up moving to Holland, uh, and now Andy Moore is when when the Dogface Hermans they did an album together, I think, uh, and then Andy jo- ended up joining the X uh, and the, the Hermans. Right. Um, Quit in, in when they were in America, <laughs> sitting around a table. And they decided not to not to carry on anymore, which is uh, tragic, really, because they they did when they moved to Europe. They did uh, work, you know, had, were doing gigs all over the place and, and quite high profile. Um, we kind of, I think, in a way, perhaps that's probably. I mean, it's a weird one, but it kind of almost felt feels like if you're yeah, by by going to another country, you you've got a kind of uh, uh, there's a curi- you, you create a kind of curiosity because you're out outside of your own culture in a way. Um, but we did we we didn't do that even though we were playing there a lot. Um, and were you still and were there still sort of nine members of the band by by the sort of early nineties? Not it would streamlined a bit. It was probably what the it four. changed the lineup changed quite often. Uh, I think we still had five musicians, though. Yes. Hanging in the balance. And, uh, and, and did you have a moment when it sort of, after that album, did you know things were going to be coming to an end? Well, I think we, uh, at that point, Ferg and I decided to call it a day because we felt that we wanted to kind of move it into another direction. And I think, uh, so we kind of, wasn't musical differences so much as just this kind of thing where well, everyone started having kids. Yeah, that, that was primarily what happened. Yes, this is this is quite a common one, isn't it? When people want to, and also sometimes really like. I mean, the other thing I've I've heard a lot of people was like, well, actually, we just didn't make any money, and I was really poor still, and we'd been doing it for five, six years, and just decided we needed to do. Or personally, people would wanting to do different things, and I think 
you know, yeah, just people have just had it, kind of had it really, because it just wasn't going to go to the next stage, which was, I must admit, you know, looking back, well, looking at this now, doing these interviews, I almost sort of realise how, you know, appreciate people like you too were, because it's like, oh, they did sort of manage to sort of keep it rolling, whereas mostly people just think, God, I've just had enough. Yeah, well, we I think we kept it going as, as long as we could. I mean, we had quite a lot of interest after Ron Johnson collapsed. We we did have, there was some interest from other record labels. We had a guy from Fundamental Records come over and see us. He didn't go for it in the end, but uh, Abstract Records were interested, which uh, is around about 90, about 1990, I should think. And then because we we weren't in a sense going to the going to somewhere developing into another stage i think at that point we and as tim says we we all started having kids so um we had to kind of grow up i suppose um, <laughs> i did i did actually do a tour with tress king the the guy from bogshed who was in the band at that time we carried on and did another tour of italy but we were just called jackdaw after fergus and adam left we actually did it again, but with different music, different films. Yes. That's under the name Jackdaw. And then that, uh, then we did that for a couple of years and then that, that stopped and we did a, formed a new band. And it wasn't until about 2008, or was it 2007? 2000, yeah, I think we, we got back together properly in 2007, but we'd been there. But I, I contacted Adam uh, to see if he was interested in writing no, making films to go with some of my other music because I've I've always been make, writing music all the time. I contacted Adam and he said, "No, I'd rather than make films. I'd like to sing." I think that was one of the reasons why I left actually because I was I studied uh, f- film and drama. I, I was sort of a uh, you know I, I was I hate the word, but I was kind of an actor, I suppose, and so I'd had that experience of of treading the boards and uh, I'm saying through gritted teeth, but um, so I, yeah, I, I think that's why I initially left. And then when Tim called me, that's, that's kind of what I was going, wanting to do. And it, it, uh, I was at that point going through a bit of a bad patch for me. It was like, this is what I really want, would like to do. So uh, we eventually got Ferg, Fergus back into back into it and then we, we were we were like a trio um for the last in which is basically 2007 to 2015 i suppose uh a bit bitty but we you know we we kind of got back into uh the x we did a, some gigs with the x and then they kind of uh gave us some uh tours in in europe and uh, and ross gilder the Big festival in Denmark. Yeah. Um, so is yeah. it so is it the case that you are now just the the Tim Ferguson Adam combination, or is Fergus is, Fergus has left? Yeah. Um, it's the two of us, but we have we have a sound guy who was used to be the bass player in the early nineties. Yeah. Uh, Whack. Oh. He comes along. He comes along and looks after the mixer for us. So there's us two music um, voice and guitar and whack comes along right and i mean because obviously you know in the the mid 
the mid yeah 2005 you did a release didn't you the the one which was titled God that's before Donald Trump fuck America oh well that's on the uh, the uh, what's it called the underground thing of the underground that John Rob had something to do with I think commercially unfriendly commercially unfriendly yes um, and that. Uh, it's, it's a weird one because it, at the time it, it kind of there was this sort of uh, almost like a, a re, not a relaunch but a kind of a, a look back to that that particular time of music and it seemed like oh this is this is good because it's kind of coming round but actually I think it's that's what that's what's going on now more than it did then in a sense there's loads of bands now that are. They cite their influences and they're saying Jackdaw with Crowbar, Dogface Termans, Bogshed, A Witness, and these are all the bands that you know uh, that we that we were playing with or were kind of in the same camp, if you like. Well, it uh, happened. It happened. A revival. That's the word. I'm thinking. Yes, <laughs> I know. God. Yes, yeah. it, most things do seem to take a certain amount of time, and sort of three decades, thirty years seems to be quite a good one. And people, I suppose, start discovering things. I think it's when kind of I don't know if this is one of the things that you've had, but I've heard, also heard. You know, it's it's like people dealing with the admin and the publishing rights and still having ownership of music, which at the time when they were creating this stuff and were quite young, they didn't understand. But did you manage to sort of hold on to your material? Yeah, we, we never, it was never, uh, in a sense, I suppose, with Ron Johnson and, and Hacks, it, it was never a, it was never a discussion, you know, in that uh, the material was, was, was written by us, you know, and there was no, uh, we're not going to do anything for somebody else. Um, but it works both ways, I suppose, if you, if you're going to do that, then don't expect to make any money from it. You know, so <laughs> it. Uh, but we 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 kind of I think we always tr- wanted to try and kind of stick to some principles about about doing it, um, and wanting to sort of have have to, to be saying something really um, on on that on that level of of uh, trying to not. Not change necessarily or, or influence anything, but at least be able to comment on on the shit going down around us. <laughs> well, it's funny because last weekend I interviewed Penny from um, Crass, and he oh, said right. he said virtually the same thing. But also they they kept ownership of their music as well, and and it's like we just wouldn't even contemplate sort of giving it to someone else to look after, you know. Why, right. would, why would anyone do that? And it's like, and I can see with all the other bands who did sign for other people, it looked quite good. But then they realised that, you know, here's 100,000. Oh, by the way, you know, we need to have all that money back. And, and now you're in debt. But, you, you know, people don't quite see the business. I mean, the business is such a, cro- a crooked affair. It's almost like now we, we own you. You own us, you know, suddenly more money than you could imagine. And, yep. um, and you'll get your music back once we broke even. By the way, that will never happen. <laughs> Yes. So it's it's like you know it's almost like God. It's it's the devil's bargain, really, isn't it? The music yeah. business. <laughs> so I suppose in a way we were never we, for one reason or another, never actually were confronted by that because we never we never got that uh, that level of interest that would uh, necessitate us have to have to think about what what we we're going to do about that. 
it was always just a case of well we're doing it um we'll do it uh, regardless of how much money we get paid um we just want to do it so yeah i, I guess um we didn't um have to have to bite that bullet really. no and obviously coming back you know for a third you know the third phase age i mean do you feel sort of i mean excited and, and sort of filled with sort of ideas and creativity yeah definitely yes yeah a lot. absolutely definitely yeah and it's it's uh you know it is a bit weird because we are quite old but <laughs> but you know we're... i think the set we've got now is our best ever how about that <laughs> which is good no i mean i suppose you know when when you know you know in the past you know thinking that one would still be doing these things now would would be ridiculous but then you know the ryan and stones are still doing it and you think well it doesn't look that as ridiculous as it sounded back 30 years or 40 years ago and same with people like iggy pop and you think well i suppose actually jazz and blues people did it so there is no reason not to do it as long as people don't sort of think they still look you know as as young as they did but you know it still has a relevance and music is kind of what most people really love doing because it's a passion yeah uh, you know it's it's i mean i it isn't i mean per, personally speaking because i wasn't necessarily doing it when i was younger it, and i but i kind of always kind of thought that i would at some point um enter enter into actually uh performing and and singing or i can call it singing but um so it, it's like for me it's like this is my time now kind of even though i know we're not going to be on top of the pops or jules holland necessarily or you know we're not we're not going to become famous but we can we, we we can hold our our heads up high uh in in what's going on now you know uh i don't think it's just because of our age shouldn't mitigate against us doing it you know if we can if we can still stand <laughs> yeah um, we're going to the same care home yeah <laughs> well standing you know i mean god axel rose was on a chair wasn't he the other year so standing yeah. you know standing's just a bonus really i mean what <laughs> what would you say to your kind of 18 year old selves because obviously having sort of done so much music during that period the 80s and now sort of doing other things and life you know hits you here and there and everywhere I mean so you have a lot of experience so what what would you sort of think god that would have been a really good thing to have just been told um well I'm I'm surprised I'm still alive (laughs) for one thing um and that's a bonus uh I I don't know really how I mean obviously people change uh over time but the spirit remains um in terms of you know what what draws somebody to to actually do something like this you you the this the same things apply i think i I don't think it it's any different i think if i was going to talk to the 18 year old me i'd say Keep saving a bit of money, and every two months, buy one part of a modular synthesizer, and then by by the time you're 56, you'll have the, the biggest modular synthesizer there is. Excellent. Yes, this is all very true. And you've obviously got live dates as well coming up, haven't you? Yeah, really looking forward to it. We've got a gig with uh, 
the a band called the Arndales, who were, I think it's just Arndales. Oh, sorry, yeah. Um, and they actually, yeah, they actually asked us to, to play, which was like a real, you know, it was a real uh, kind of really uh, pleasing. The, guy, said, the, the guy got in touch and said, we've got some things in common, like Dogface Hermans, we're fans of Dogface Hermans, and if, who else did he mention? Well, he mentioned us, uh, Dogface Hermans and Bogshed and a Witness. That was um, like one of those moments when the past comes back. Yes. In a nice way, and you realise there's someone out there who who, who likes that stuff. Um, they're a funny band. They're, one guy's from Art Brute. Oh, yes. I remember. And what's that other? Country Teasers. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, God. Uh, Collapse Lung. Right. They're names, they're more names I know than, than, than the sound, actually. But yes, that's good. Well, I'm really pleased it's, you know, and obviously you've got new material, which is, must yeah, be. Yeah, all set, yeah. Because so obviously, you know, now that Fergus, I mean, the second time, obviously, Ferg and I were both writing material, but I'm not going to touch the old classics like Crow and... Uh, you're right, Wing. I mean, he wrote those songs, so they're, you know, they're sacrosanct. As far as I'm concerned, they're sacrosanct. I'm not going to go there. But I'm, so I'm write, writing uh, all the lyrics um, for, for, for new material. It's new material. So it's a tricky one for me because I still like to play one of those songs. Yeah. But we, we won't because it was Fergus's lyrics. Yes. It's a funny one, but. That is it's a, a tricky one because I, I sort of remember the guy from the Chesterfields. You know, he had a lot of kind of um, emotion because I think the the singer had died, or well, and he might have even wrote the material, and, and then sort of they slightly reformed for various kind of reasons, which were all generally good. But he found he he had to ask the family if that was okay to sing the songs that this guy had once sung, and and the family were fine with it. But I think he personally had an emotional sort of thing with it, but. Yeah. Um, it is it's a tricky one, really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, Fergus, I've known Fergus since I was 18, where, you know, people used to think we were brothers. We kind of, in, in some respects, kind of sounded. We did a lot of stuff outside of Jackdaw together. We ran a theatre company together for a while. So we're, we're, we're kind of very much... Um, influenced by each other i think and uh so for, for me now it's like well what am i doing am i am i pretending to be him or am i replacing him or am i so it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a weird one and i try i try and in a sense uphold what he brought to it but i'm doing something slightly different because i'm different i'm oh, not yeah him. it's different you know so it, but it is it's a different band it's not it's not like uh it's yeah it's it's similar but it's different it's a different kind of thing i suppose yes and obviously you have <laughs> that's a tricky one isn't it um and you know with all the previous members do you sort of keep in touch with them at all yeah yeah um not not all of them but we they're all they're all uh uh i don't think there's any great animosity you know it's um it's, we lost touch with one andy yeah one of the Andes. Yeah. He went off and worked for the BBC. Never Something. seen again. 
Not Never sure, seen the game, not no. sure where he is. <laughs> God, that sounds ominous. Um, yes. Anyway, look, guys, thank you. I've got quite a bit there now, but thank you for giving me your time for this this okay. uh, interview. And I'll tell you when I put the, the show out. I mean, I might also ask you, do you have much of your material on MP3? Because I don't have a lot, actually, on MP3. Um, the new, you're talking about new material? Well, just any, actually. <laughs> uh, I can make that happen. Um because uh, obviously you, you're, you're not you're not on Spotify, but there was also you know bits and pieces around, but it's quite hard to track down. If you, t- uh, if you what 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 would you be interested in? Because I can I can send you some stuff. Well, I suppose yeah, I suppose um, you know five or six songs that you would think, oh, these would be just brilliant, um, something like that. That would be fantastic. You'd be very very keen for some of the new. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it'd be good to get a kind of an idea of both the early stuff and the, the, the absolute new stuff, because obviously, as you said, the band is quite different now. Well, different, but the yeah. same, if you know what I mean. You know, putting some out with, in this show, playing some of the tracks. Yeah. The, so I, right. well, what, what I do is I have played the interview and then I play the songs of the band between the bits of interview, so the interview gets cut up. Sure. So well, I, I I'll, I think... I'll email you and then just ask you so to remind you. Sure. So say five. Yes. Five ish. And then uh, starting from the beginning, going to the. Yeah. So whatever ones give you the biggest satisfaction would be Uh, interesting. Well, it might be, I don't know. It's it's up to you, Nick Marie. But I think think, uh, in a way it'd be good to give give you a a mixture, some some original, some of the, the first period. I mean, broadly speaking, there's three, three ages of Jackdaw at this present time. <laughs> so, some from the first. Well, a bit two Ron Johnson, one Hacks, and two from now. Yeah. Or. Yeah, something like that would be fantastic. Yeah, it's actually, it's a challenge because we've got a lot of. There's a lot of material. There's there's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff actually. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, hopefully, yes. And you, is it kind of very easily available? No. Okay, because <laughs> well, uh, I haven't I haven't managed to track that much down. So I was thinking, people have other people have put stuff on YouTube. Yes, I've seen YouTube and your John Peel sessions. There's a few there's a few live videos that other people have put up. There's a few in Italy, one in Belgium. There's, uh, there's the one in Kidlington Mill when we played with Melt Banana. Oh yeah. Oh, nice. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I think people get to that age where they just want to nicely archive stuff with a yeah, a, a, a kind of a box set with nice sleeve notes. Well, that's, I mean, that's something, you know, obviously we are sparring to the possibility of trying to re- release new material. But then if we were able to do that, we could then maybe possibly talk about a retrospective kind of compilation. I mean, because there is so much material that, that's kind of fallen by the wayside, hasn't been released, hasn't been heard. Um, and it'd just be, we, it'd be great we, to we do, do that. We do intend to um, put a lot of it on our new website. Oh, excellent. Finding the, time, finding the time to do it. So currently it's only got two pages. But it is, because we've got this new, we've only just started gigging again. We've done four, three or four, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, we only started playing live again. Couple of months ago, really. So a month ago. Yeah. Yes. So it's early days. It's obviously. early days. God, I know. We've got uh, we've 
we've got these shows coming up in August, and then we've got we're planning some for Christmas time, and we want to. I'm I've got this idea of doing a little Brexit tour next month, ending in Brussels on the 29th. <laughs> we, we don't want to be here when it happens. <laughs> no, oh God. So that's what we'll be planning. Perhaps we might try and do some shows with the X then if they'll have us. And uh, we're playing with Zay in Hastings and Oxford next month. Zay is the singer of the X. Have you heard of her? No. Zay, Z E A. It's the, yeah, Arnold is the singer with the X and he's the, he does a solo thing. They all do their own little projects when they're not touring. Yeah. Indeed. It's a true story. Anyway, that is the end of the interview. Thank you ever so much for listening, if you still are. That was a huge thank you to Jack Dorr with Crow Bar. That was Tim Ellis and Adam Sindor. And um, yes, if you want to contact me for whatever reason, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just do at C86show. Also, I've uh, been archiving all these interviews, so you can find those on um, Spotify, iTunes, and also Podbean. So just, uh, yes, go and um, Google, search away, and it'll all be there. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe. <laughs>